Welcome to Asphalt Talk, a podcast by and for asphalt professionals. Join our expert hosts as they tackle real industry issues to pave a smoother way for asphalt suppliers and producers. This podcast is sponsored by MAPA, the Missouri Asphalt Pavement Association. Founded to promote quality and accountability, MAPA has been serving the asphalt producers of Missouri since 1990. And now a public service announcement from our sponsor, Maycreate Design. Google Translate doesn't work for web designer to paving company translations. You say hot mix and it thinks you're talking about the latest snack craze. Wouldn't it be nice to work with a designer who knows the difference between binders and bitumen? Work with folks who have been speaking your language for the past 17 years. Visit maycreate.com. That's M-A-Y-E create.com. Because if you think your website sucks, so does everyone else. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Asphalt Talk. I'm your host, Dale Williams, with Missouri Asphalt Pavement Association. Today, we're sitting down with Travis Kessner, the MoDOT State Design Engineer, to discuss the statewide transportation transportation improvement program, or it's commonly known as the STIP. Travis, great to talk with you today, and I look forward to our conversation about the STIP. But before we get into that, spend a little time getting to know maybe a little bit about yourself. So how long have you been with MoDOT? I've been with MoDOT 28 years uh, full time, and uh, I'm I'm one of the MoDOT interns. You know, I so I was an intern for MoDOT starting in 1992. So I have a a few years of internship before I started full time in '95. So, wow! So you're getting close to that uh, magic 80 and out, then, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, getting getting close. So I try to tell everybody <laughs> I started when I was really really young, right? So <laughs> I, I hear you. I uh, I start putting my bios together and. I think I was at MoDOT for 14 years and I'm getting ready to start on year 14 here. I'm like, wow, 27 years in the industry and it goes by fast. It does. So prior to becoming the state design engineer, what other positions did you have at MoDOT? Well, most recently before coming back to Jefferson City, as I call it, I was the district engineer in Southwest District. So uh, for about three years, three and a half years, close to four uh, I was assistant district engineer in Central District and the assistant construction materials engineer. And and when I really got to meet a lot of the contractors is when I was the contract services engineer in the early 2000s. So, so what, what's been the favorite job you've ever had at ODOT? You know, a district engineer is a pretty fun job. I like that in Southwest District. You're a lot closer to projects. I, I like being a close to projects. You know, we see a lot of jobs here in Central Office, but you feel a little bit closer to it when you're out in the regions to the jobs and uh and other other than that probably even uh back to when i was in the project office at uh, like the ozarks you know in the re office i got a chance to be the actual re for just a short period before then i was the uh, acting re for several months when our re was out with some medical issues but i i, I like being on the job i got to work on some really really good projects back then so did you always want to work in the road construction industry Oh, I think it was just kind of a natural progression. You know, as a youngster, my family worked uh, like residential construction and small uh, small commercial construction. So once I decided to go into engineering school and went to civil engineering, I think it was probably just a natural progression to get into heavy civil. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed the road construction industry a lot. I think, you know, either way, I kind of just like building stuff. I think I probably would have joined the, enjoy the heavy construction uh, civil side on the building or any other aspect as well. But yeah, really, really do get to see some good jobs and really see how the road construction affects the 
the lives of folks every day, you know, just the safety of the general traveling traveling public. A lot of folks don't realize or think about how big an impact the projects are uh, having on people's lives every day. So, yeah, that's really a that's a true statement. I think it's kind of like the electric company. Nobody really thinks about it until there's a problem. And I think you know, roads and bridges are really kind of in that same vein. Nobody thinks about them until there's a problem. Yeah, everyone everyone expects everyone expects to be able to jump in their vehicle and get to where they're going with uh, no issues, and we all have a big part to play in that. So, yeah, absolutely. So, who's been your most important professional mentor? Well, you know, really, I think uh, you always remember those folks you work with when you first start, right? So, probably some of those uh, those staff members from years ago. I think I uh, I think I still quote one of my first REs, you know, Jerry Spratt down at the Camden Project office every once in a while. On uh, those, those folks, uh, they they've been around for a long time, and they uh, they made sure you. Uh, Paid attention to what you were doing and you did it the right way. You know, you you learned about what you were doing and knew knew why you were doing what you were doing. So I think uh, folks like that and really on the industry side, there was a asphalt foreman. And uh, I don't know, Dale, you might remember this gentleman, too, by the name of Jerry Wright that worked for uh, Lake Ozark Construction. And he was I, I worked on one of the first super paved jobs down towards uh, Camden, the Route 54, which uh one, mm -hmm. I believe, won a perpetual paving award, and it's still one of the smoothest pieces of pavements in the state. Jerry was a, you know, just a stickler for uh, getting folk, getting things done the right way. His 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 crew liked working for him, but they uh, they did a very a very good job. He was, it was always uh, whenever we had him on a job doing asphalt, it's like, well, Jerry's got the job, so this will be an easy one to administer for us. So, yeah, that was one of uh, one of the early jobs I worked on when I was at Modot that job down there on 54. I, I don't know if I remember him directly, but I'm sure we crossed paths. Yeah, yeah. So when you're not at work, what do you like to do? Oh, well, I I, I don't know. I guess I like to do it. I, I have a small hobby. I have a small farm. I guess it's kind of in that hobby class, but I, I, I kind of want to make money off of it. But it, it is a lot of work. It is a little bit of work. So I do some crops. So uh, small, small crop farm. But also other than that, you know, we do a, uh, I like I like to golf a little bit. Not very good at, at it. Like to be uh, like to be outdoors. Uh, do like to travel a little bit some, but we just haven't had a chance to uh, do that much lately. But I, I guess most of my time outside of work is consumed with uh, with uh, with farm work, and then any chance we can get to steal away and play around the golf or take a little trip, we do that. So, so what what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Well, I think the main thing, you know, is just to uh, listen and keep learning. You know, it, it, you, you know, as those engineers, you go to school, you, yeah, you, you kind of learn about a few things. You get to work, then you really start learning how things work. You know, you really just to listen to folks and and kind of keep evolving with the industry. I mean, things have changed a lot over the years. No matter what type of uh, construction you're doing, if it's asphalt or any of the other bridge work or. Uh, any other paving work that we do at MoDOT, you just got to keep learning. The, the industry is constantly evolving. You know, that's a design division. A lot of folks don't know, but we do a lot of the environmental work, but also a lot of surveying statewide. So I always did like surveying years ago and surveying's really changed over the years. So that's a, I, I, I wish I could keep up with it and keep up with the times. You know, we run the, we want, we, we uh, control the real-time network for everyone to use. And a lot of the automated uh, systems that, maybe either intelligent compaction using or, or other systems and really just 
to listen and, and keep learning about those things. You know, it's it's not like the uh, when you go out and buy a piece of equipment or a, a new system. Now you you got to make sure you take time to learn how to learn how to use it. You know, to to get the most value out of it. It's just uh, not something that's intuitive to know how to do. There's a lot of a lot of advantages to it, but you got to keep 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 moving forward. So. Let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the STIP, how it works in Missouri. So in a nutshell, can you explain to our audience what the STIP is? Well, you've mentioned it before. You know, it stands for the statewide transportation uh, program. So uh, really it's just our, our list of commitments, our list of projects that have been selected that we publish to the uh, citizens of Missouri to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we, we actually do a pretty comprehensive five-year step, you know, five years worth of projects that are out there. Our current five-year step is approaching, uh, not quite, but it's uh, getting close to $14 billion, which is uh, a lot of uh, a lot of projects as compared to a few years ago where we were, uh, we were well below $10 million of projects, even approaching that, you know, $5 billion or, or below mark there for a few years. So it's, uh, it's a, good, a good way to just go check it out look, see what's coming up in your area. We've uh, we've got a few extra uh, features out there that the contracting industry really uh, drove us to do a few years ago. We have the STIP out there in an Excel format. So, you know, folks can go out there, contractors especially, and take that look at that Excel format, put it on their computer, and then they can uh, sort, slice, and dice the jobs any way they want to see what's coming up over the next few years. So it's, a, it's really an important tool for us. The other things that uh, are also in the STIP or like the maintenance activities that we do. And it's good to tell the public, you know, hey, we spend money internally, but that's also going to the roads as well. It's just our striping operations, our, you know, maybe our pipe replacements, things like that, that aren't generally contractor work. So. Well, I just like, you know, we appreciate you uh, putting the document in Excel. That was actually a request from a, a MAPA member, I think is really what kind of got the ball rolling on that. I mean, I know our members use it as a plan you know, when they make equipment purchases or looking at quarries or, you know, different things as they invest in their company, it really helps them to be positioned whenever the work comes together. And, you know, talk about $14 billion worth of work. That's uh, it's pretty monumental um, in, in what we're going to have to accomplish in the next five years. Yeah. And I think what, what, what's been a, you know, with the uh, changing in prices over the last couple of years, it's been a, it's been a little bit of a challenge for us, but we want to try to make sure we get those schedules out there, the tender letting schedule out there as accurately or as far in advance as we can. And I know that we have little starts and stops with that, depending on what's going on with the stiff, because we know that's important for industry to see what's coming up the next three months, six months, 12 months. So I think we have around, we, we, we do have a six month schedule out there in our tentative letting schedule, which is related to the stiff. So uh, hopefully that helps uh helps folks take a look ahead to see what's coming up. So, Yeah. Well, I know we had, uh, you know, a little thing called COVID that, that really threw a monkey wrench in a lot of things. And um, we've had a lot of investment, you know, from the federal level and, you know, the 12 and a half gas, gas tax getting phased in and uh, the governor, I think his bridge program. And we've done now, I think we're up to 200 million for minor roads. It's uh, been a lot of moving parts here over the last two or three years. Yeah, they have. It's actually awesome. You know, we've went through so many. We went through the 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 good years in the like the early 2000s with a smoother, safer, sooner than a lot of lean years. So it's nice to be able to see a future, a future of funding. And, and you know, I, I think it's really good to see the contractors we feel have really been responding well. You know, it took a little bit to 
get things going. But I think uh, contractors now are, you know, kind of finding their groove with uh, the amount of work that they can do and want to do and uh, are, are adapting to, to fill up and do these jobs as they move forward. So I, as, as we talk with industry industry members and a lot of MAPA members, you know, I, 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 I get the I get the sense that they're feeling a little bit better about it. There for a while, folks were kind of uh, like, wow, how are we going to get all this done and get going with the uh, labor shortages and, and things like that that everybody faces? Those issues are still there, but I think folks have a lot better handle on it now and are uh, finding the groove, you know, to get the, get these projects moving forward. So, yeah, I'm, you know, labor is a big deal. I know it's, it's a big deal for you guys. It's a big deal for us. And I tell you what, it's great to work on labor issues and not work on funding for a change. So, yeah, yeah, it is nice to, it's a great, it's a great uh, issue to have as finding a way to deliver all these projects. That's for sure. So, yeah. Um, getting a little deeper into it so i know the metropolitan planning organization or mpos and regional planning commissions commonly known as rpcs they play a vital role in determining regional and local needs can you discuss how these groups are utilized to identify the needs and prioritize projects yeah yeah and for uh these are actually uh groups scattered around the state you know they're based off uh kind of population really our, our modot district lines whenever they were uh drawn redrawn back in 2011 kind of were were drawn to totally totally encompass a full regional planning commissions you know a lot of districts have anywhere from three to five regional planning commissions so uh they are uh, they're more of the rural community groups mpos they're those those areas that have a little bit more population but it's really a lot of local elected officials and uh, folks that are really looking at the uh, regional needs, not just for transportation, for other issues such as uh, some groups do a lot with housing and low-income housing and then with uh, sewer and water grants and things like that as well. But it's really uh, localized groups that have that local knowledge about projects, you know, so we they can get the pulse of the community to see what projects are most important. You know, I can think of a good example that we have. Uh, had been using over the years, even since back around 2015 or so, when we started to really kind of focus more on some rural bridges. You know, we had so many rural bridges that were getting in such bad shape. It's like, all right, so we could just go start randomly doing them. You know, it's asset management. We know we need to do them, but let's, with the Regional Planning Commission help, it was, uh, they, they helped plan out and say, all right, we know that, yeah, these two bridges are both in bad shape. The traffic looks the same, but, you know, this route right here is actually more important for the local community as far as getting folks back and forth to the hospital, you know, getting getting the groceries into the local grocery store or just for the farming community. So, you know, that really helped us prioritize projects such as that when we're moving forward. And, you know, that's just kind of one example of how how their their input's really pretty vital to help pick projects, but also to communicate back out once we have selected projects to the region of say here, yeah, here's what's going on and here's what's going to happen with projects. So. Yeah. I think there's a lot more behind the scenes than, you know, most people realize I learned something. I thought that they were just transportation oriented, but obviously they're the RPOs and MP, the RPCs and MPOs are mm-hmm. obviously much more dialed into other needs as well. Yeah. I, I wasn't kind of ask you what the difference between the two are, but I think you pretty much, answer that question yeah yeah there's kind of a it's population density type thing and there's actually three there's actually really three categories there's an rpc an mpo and a transportation management area tma you know like your st louis kansas city and springfield 
those population densities over 200,000. You know, and they have a little bit, they, they get some more dedicated funding straight to their area, you know, for selecting projects on a local level. MPOs, they have they get a, a different type of funding as well. But then uh, RPCs, you know, are kind of just thrown in all together with the rural funding that's split up. So, and it's really based off uh, population density maps. I think they look at the, uh, you know, uh, urban areas uh, like uh, the, no, I think this number is still correct. It's around a thousand people per square mile minimum density before it can, you know, be drawn into like an MPO or a TMA boundaries. You know, the RPC areas have have less dense population than that when they're moving out for and for continuous contiguous areas. You know, so if it's just like one town of a thousand people, that really won't kick you into a MPO status because you have to have that total population of over fifty thousand. So. So that's kind of how the boundaries are are drawn, and then they're uh, they're uh, actually taken up all the way through the governor's office and on the national level for drawing the boundaries for these areas. So. Oh wow! Yeah, learned something else today as well. Yeah. <laughs> can can individuals become part of their local MPO RPC, or is that pretty yeah. much just the elected officials? Uh, no, that there's there's uh, several folks on, uh, especially RPCs that are not elected officials. You know, the the local governments are all naturally invited as being part of the RPC. You know, all the cities and counties, but those cities and counties they don't have to have their elected officials go. I mean, they can actually have folks that are members of the community be the representative for the planning group, and that happens quite a bit in uh, around the state. I don't know exactly the the number of it, but the ones that I, I was involved with in Central District and Southwest District, they would have several members that uh, were the elected officials, but on the same token, they had several members that were not, you know, elected officials. They were uh, just designated by the county or the city. Same way with the TMAs, the MPO, the, uh, the like the Ozark Transportation Organization in Springfield, they had a uh, Oh, several, three or four members that were not elected officials. They were just designated by the uh, the uh, local entity to be the representative for transportation for their area, you know, and it's usually somebody they do a good job picking. It's usually someone that has some knowledge about transportation, either from the, you know, some industry that has a lot of logistics things going on or a industry that has something to do with the, the road work. So. Okay. So recently, I think MoDOT started publishing a high priority unfunded needs list. Can you give our listeners some insight to this document and how it's utilized in the planning process? Yeah, to me, it's kind of an extension of, uh, oh, kind of an extension of what the RPOs or MP, the MPOs or RPCs would have of what they call their long range plan of jobs that they want to have done. It kind of helps them narrow that down more to specific project level. And these are these projects that they need to do, but, you know, we don't have enough funding in the STIP now for them to do. But it actually helps them refine those ideas over the years by uh, identify, identifying those as unfunded needs and also helps show the statewide elected officials of, you know, if there are more resources available, these are the types of jobs that this area would do, you know, and it shows that the locals have picked those jobs. That's the kind of kind of things are vetted out. It's uh, really just a normal process for for us now because, you know, of course, our engineers are involved with the. Uh, like helping them with what the scope would be. So if they have an intersection they have issues with, you know, we kind of, we would help them out on, all right, what kind of fixes could happen on that intersection to come up with just a base, a base estimate, you know, and that's just kind of a, still a broad estimate saying we need to fix the problem. That's not 
defining exactly how we would fix it, but to help give them that range. And it kind of helps the locals understand too, and to look forward with the work. The uh, MPOs and RPCs really do a great job working with each other, even though they're representing like their area when they go to a board. My experience is they do a good job working things out, you know, and, and, uh, and listen to each other's situation. And the unfunded needs list is just another way for that. I mean, it's not a, it's not a surprise to the rest of the RPC or MPO members the first time they hear about a job. It's probably something they've already been talking about as an unfunded need for several years as a as a as a board, you know, as a group. So I think it's a really good process so we can show folks, hey, this is this is what we'll do if we have the, the cash to do it, you know, and that uh folks folks want to see what we're gonna do with projects. It's uh you can't just tell folks you need money without what you need the money for. And as a taxpayer, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go for that either. You know, you need to be able to show what you're going to do with the money you get. So. so how does a project get on the step? Well, actually, the it kind of the 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 funding is distributed for our MoDOT districts. And within the MoDOT districts, each one of the uh, planning groups, they have their priority list of projects that they would like to fund. You know, in St. Louis, they just have one planning group. You know, it's East West Gateway. So, I mean, you go through their projects and they can go through their, their asset management and their unfunded needs and uh, move through uh narrowing that list down to match the funding available in a rural area it's a little bit different because you may have two or three rpcs and an mpo thrown in there they all have their unfunded needs they all have their priorities the district has a planning group and the district leadership and the district they'll, they'll get all those planning groups together like in the fall of the year and talk about all those needs and then that group will go through an iterative process to fit those needs amongst all the groups together with available funding. And even at this time, the RPCs and MPOs, the separate ones from the district, say it'll be like in Central District, there'll be three RPCs and uh, two MPOs with Jefferson City and Columbia get together. And But they all, they all do a very good job listening to each other's needs and uh, the hashing out which jobs will be funded. You know, they, they do it. It's a very it's a very civil and very understanding, thoughtful process as they look forward through them. So. But, you know, that's pretty amazing when you bring all the groups together because, you know, the most important project is always the one in your backyard. So it's uh, good to see they can work together to, to accomplish things for everybody. Yeah, they, they, my experience is they all do very well when they get together. You know, they, they may not get what they want. They might be disappointed, but they, they understand why, you know, and they, they work with each other to move them forward. So, so how often is the step updated? It's yearly. Now, we, it's, you mentioned COVID. We didn't do it during the COVID year, but other than that, we do it yearly. And the process for the districts really starts about September when they're doing that and getting the, getting the unfunded needs and, looking at the the prices and the estimates for all those jobs and working with the RPCs. That process starts in September all the way up through until July when the commission approves the final steps. So so they'll we'll really look at the uh, look at the current jobs that are in the current five-year step, how their prices may have changed, and then also see if there's a uh, room to add any more jobs in that next year of the step that moves out. You know, with inflation, not a lot of jobs were added this last cycle. You know, because we had to take an account for inflation for that, but it's uh, it's really an iterative iterative process year after year, which uh, really takes uh, takes about you know six to six to eight months of the year of work, starting in the districts and the RPC level to get out to that final document that's approved in July. So, yeah, the, the inflation, like you know, you talk about throwing a curveball, 
you're looking at, you know, I, I've tracked, you know, obviously we track, you know, asphalt prices and even what our competitors do. And, you know, if you look historically pre-COVID, pre-inflation and everything that happened because of COVID, you know, from what I recall, looking about three or 4% inflation annually, you know, kind of year over year on average. I mean, you know, there's some years up more and down, but, you know, when you, I, I don't know what number you all looked at annually, but that's what I saw, at least for asphalt prices. And then all of a sudden you're seeing 20 and 30% inflation. That's really hard to plan for and, and overcome because you got a limited budget. It's not like your budget goes up and down with inflation. So, yeah, I don't know that any economist foresaw the amount of inflation that we have in such a short time period. And, you know, you can, nobody can really put a finger on exactly why, you know, there was a lot more money injected into the system during COVID and the the finances probably, uh, the financial downfall during COVID probably wasn't as extensive. And it was, it was good to get the economy going. There's a lot of needed work, you know, oh, yeah. to be done. But yeah, we've generally seen between that two and 4%. We had a lot of years, you know, that was around 2% inflation or, even below, but two to four percent was that kind of general uh, general inflation. But yeah, it is it does make a difference when you see a twenty percent rather than two percent. That's for sure. That's uh, you're talking a lot of a lot of dollars when you're talking about the size of the SIP that we have. So, I believe the current SIP, I think the numbers that we were sharing is about one about one point two billion dollars of the SIP update was taken up in inflation. So wow, that's yeah. uh, pretty incredible. So is there any way the traveling public can get involved in the SIP process? Yeah, I mean, the uh, RP, all the uh, regional planning groups, the MPO, all their meetings are public. Every one of the groups has a has a website. They're all linked on our MoDOT website. They're all out there. They can uh, they can see who the members are. The, the, their meetings are actually open to the public. Folks can go to their meetings. You know, they can, they can give input during the meetings um, if they want. I've been to several RPC and MPO meetings. There's usually not a lot of public folks that are there, but sometimes there are, you know, and sometimes there's like the local news reporters there, which, which actually helps, you know, because it helps get the word out. So they can actually give that feedback to their local elected official. Even if they have a new county commissioner, they may not know what the RPC is yet, but they will after they've been a county commissioner for a little bit, you know, or a local elected official. And that that's the best way to give feedback is from that, uh, that, that uh, kind of that, grassroots effort on the local level up through there and all the all their projects are put out there their unfunded needs list for each rpc is put out there on their websites and published so uh they watch their uh local news media you know on the very the very local level or talk to their local elected official they can they can definitely always give their input so well travis as we kind of wrap up here you got any parting thoughts like sure no, no i appreciate it it's uh you know a lot of folks don't really ever think about the projects for how a job becomes a job you know a lot of you know we're, we're uh we of course we put asset management very high on uh, resurfacing the roads and uh, taking care of the bridges um we the rpcs the local folks that are even involved in that part of the process we try we we make sure that the uh the missourians pick the roads that are being worked on in missouri you know it's their tax money that's going to it so it's very important that we keep them all involved in the process so we really appreciate it. And anytime anybody has questions about that or uh, or jobs that are coming up, feel free to feel free to ask. You know, ask your local uh, MoDOT folks or or ask us here in central office, and 
we can help point you in the point you in the right direction for those jobs. You know, we we do have folks every once in a while that'll come up and say, "Hey, we want to build this road right now," and we'll say, "Well, have you have you went through the planning process? Have you talked to your local RPC?" And we'll point in that direction. And you know, nine times out of ten, folks are like, "Well, I didn't know that existed. This is good. I will go back and talk to my uh, my county commissioner and to the uh, to the RPC, and we'll 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 do it that way." So. It's a, it's, I think it's a very good process. It's a, actually an award-winning process in Missouri. So I appreciate you all having interest in it and letting us talk about it today. So. I, I appreciate you taking the time, Travis. Um, you know, one question I usually ask folks is what's been the most challenging part of their job. But since you were my supervisor at one point in your career, I didn't want to throw that out. To you. I, I had it down <laughs> in my notes, but I didn't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we, we, I tell you what, uh, we've got a lot of, We've got a lot of folks that have worked in the industry that have worked at Bodot, and that, that's a great thing. We think, you know, that's actually a wonderful thing, and vice versa. We have a few folks worked in the industry that come work for Modot. You know, we're all we're all in it together. We're all we're all trying to do the same thing. So, a great great experience for everyone. So, yeah, it's like uh, one big hamster wheel. I think you. Yeah. Seems like I don't know how many times we've crossed paths in our career. You know, starting at college at Mizzou to working for you, and now working with you, and. Uh, been a fun career in a in a fun industry, I believe. So. Oh yeah, yeah. There's always there's always something changing. That's for sure. Keep it moving. That's what a lot a lot of great people to work with too. That that keeps it that keeps it fun. You know, we're all we're all trying to all trying to get the same thing done. You know, so we uh, we appreciate the partnership. So, well, Travis, I I appreciate the time, and I just like to say thank you to thank you for listening to Asphalt Talk, the podcast by and for asphalt professionals. If you've enjoyed listening and learned something today, please leave us a review. Your review will help us connect with other professionals like yourself so we can keep the conversation going. 1992 called. They want their website back. Stop apologizing for your crappy site and stop working with that company who thinks hot mix is the latest snack craze. Work with folks who have been speaking your language for the past 17 years. And get a website that's not a gigantic pain in the you-know-what to build. Visit maycreate.com, that's M-A-Y-E, create.com, for a free consultation and quote. Because if you think your website sucks, so does everyone else.